Great. Well, good evening, everyone here and online at home. Um, glad that you could join us this evening. My name's Niall, um, and I'm the worship pastor here if you've not met me before. Um, those of you who know uh, my wife, Jess, and me, uh, you're probably aware that we are not camping fans. Um, it's not idea of relaxation, uh, the sort of setting up a tent in a field, uh, using communal toilets and showers, praying for perfect weather, not too hot, not too cold, dry, not rainy. Um, we don't find it comfortable. We just don't enjoy it. We much prefer for um, somewhat solid walls, and we're okay if those four walls are on wheels and have hookup to electricity and running water. But in our defense, we've, we have both done our fair share of camping. Um, Jess did a number of weeks in Venezuela after her A-levels, trekking through the mountains, uh, surrounded by nature, animals, um, setting up camp after long days of hiking every evening. Um, and whilst that's very impressive, I did four weeks at the Bath and West Showground in Shepton Mallet, volunteering at both New Wine and Soul Survivor. So I think we all know who really suffered. Um, so you can probably guess that our first response to the scenario described here, if it was to happen today, uh, would not have been to offer to set up tents. Uh, we probably would be offering to take Jesus, Moses, and Elijah to uh, Penny Hill Park. We'd have afternoon tea, um, a nice massage in the spa, possibly, um, or we'd go on holiday to Santorini or the Maldives. Um, but Peter's reaction to the moment is where I want to spend a lot of time tonight. Um, it forms two out of my three points. Um, and it actually speaks to a lot of things that have been challenging me over the past year or so. Uh, and I think it's actually a challenge that's been stirring in the hearts of quite a few worship pastors that I know and have spoken to. Um, so we're going to look at Peter, um, and then we're going to turn to Jesus and uh, look at what we can learn at this key point in his ministry. Um, so the three questions will come up on the screens and for your home as I'm speaking about them. Um, so let's dive right in. So the first thing that I want to ask is, is Jesus in his rightful place? So the sermon might seem a little unfair on Peter. He is just trying his best, as we all are. But he didn't know what to say at this point. He was uh, terrified, awestruck. Um, two people that had been dead for hundreds of years had just rocked up. Jesus was glowing white. Um, the two people that had showed up were kind of like the who's who of um, Jewish scriptures. You've got Moses, who represents the law, and Elijah, who represents all the prophets. Um, they were esteemed, revered, um, idolized. And that last word is an important one. Peter offers to set up tents. And the Greek word here for tents is also used to signify the tabernacle in the Old Testament, which was kind of uh, the tent of God's presence that the Israelites took around the desert with them. So in a way, Peter was actually offering to create three mini temples for Jesus, Moses, and Elijah. So what does that tell us? It tells us that Peter, despite six days earlier, 
declaring that Jesus was the Messiah, that he was the Christ, had not put Jesus in his rightful place. Instead of recognizing that Jesus was God-made flesh, uh, he treated Jesus as though he was just a man, or perhaps he brought Moses and Elijah up to Jesus's level and was deifying them in some way. Either way, Jesus was in the wrong place. How often do we do this in our own lives? How often do we demote Jesus and promote something else? How often do we build tabernacles or temples to other things? Perhaps it's work. Perhaps it's a relationship. How often do we promote other things in our own lives? What have we brought up to the level of Jesus? What have we brought Jesus down to the level of? Have we put Jesus in his rightful place? I heard someone else speaking recently, and uh, we may have heard the cliches, but um, if you haven't, let me uh, trot them out for you. And I'm sorry, it does pain me to do this, but it makes a point. We may have heard the phrase, Jesus, take the wheel, or Jesus should be in the driver's seat and not the passenger seat. And here's a thought. Is Jesus even in the car at all? Or if he is, do you keep him in the boot? and get him out and dust him off on a Sunday morning. Or maybe he's like a pair of wellies that only come out for new wine. So what do we need to set aside? What do we need to take a look at in our lives and demote? What are we dedicating our time to? What do we need to stop worshiping? And how are we going to worship Jesus instead? Eugene Peterson, who wrote the uh, message version of the Bible, describes worship as the strategy by which we interrupt our preoccupation with ourselves and attend to the presence of God. And when we talk about worship, we don't just talk about music. Music is worship, but worship is not music. So what practices or disciplines are you doing daily to interrupt your preoccupation with yourself and attend to the presence of God? How are you going to stop building temples or tents for other things in your life? Where are you looking for Jesus? Do you confine him to church on a Sunday? Or do you look elsewhere? Is Jesus in his rightful place? The second thing that I want to ask, do we try and live in a moment that God never meant to be our dwelling place. And this is going to be a real challenge for us in a charismatic church culture. Might not be something that you expect to come out of the worship pastor's mouth, or maybe it's precisely what you should expect. You may have been in a moment where you are so tangibly aware of God's presence that you can feel it in the air around you. You may have been moved to tears, or laughter as you encounter the living God. They're amazing moments. You can feel work being done deep inside you. You feel alive. But they are moments, precious, special moments, where God in his grace meets with us in order to bless us as we worship him. But ultimately, the moments are to prepare us for the kingdom work that he is calling us to do. And as we look towards gathering again, as we look towards coming back into the church building, I want to say again that worship is not music. 
but music can be worship. What happens when we gather on a Sunday morning or evening is important and valuable, but it is one day a week. What are we doing for the other six? If we're defining worship as the strategy by which we interrupt our preoccupation with ourselves and attend to the presence of God, we also need to think about how we define God's presence. Do you think of it as those moments of intense encounter? Or perhaps you think of it as the still, small whisper. Maybe it's those moments of stillness throughout the day. Maybe it's those times when you are in touch with nature. Maybe it's in a conversation with a friend. We need to be thinking about how we attend to God's presence, how we're aware of it, whether it's a thought, a feeling, an emotion. What ways are we experiencing it? Is it through music, prayer, the Bible, through others? How do we make ourselves aware of God in the everyday? Peter wants to set up camp. Peter wants to stay in the moment. He's experienced something amazing, something fantastic, but he wants to spend longer there than God intended or allows. He might feel like, this is it. I'm so aware of God in this moment. This is what life is meant to be like. I don't want to come down from this mountain. I want to stay here forever. I wonder if you've ever felt like that after a Sunday service or conference, or perhaps you've been to a worship event, like you don't want to leave, you don't want the moment to fade, you don't want to return to normal life because you feel like that moment is what you were designed for. And we are designed to experience God's presence. We are designed to walk with him. But we're also made for the day-to-day, and God wants to be involved in that. Have you ever considered that the spectacular moments are God's attempts to get our attention so that we might begin to live our regular, everyday lives as he intended us to? Neil Bennett, who uh, used to run Worship for New Wine and now heads up uh, an organization called the Worship Foundation, writes, if we're not careful, as the New Testament church, we can still frame worship in the same way as the Israelites. God is assumed to be distant, only accessible in certain places and at certain times, or through certain gifted people or anointed songs that we can only get so far into his presence without those people, those songs, that building, that conference. Yet when we do this, we have underestimated all that Jesus has achieved for us. We have collapsed all that Jesus has done for us back into a time, a place, a song, an experience, a day. We pull back from the wide open spaces that his work has won for us. We forget that in Jesus, the there has become the here, them, has become us, absence has become presence, and the one day has become the every day. We are the new temple. He is here. We are loved. Jesus has done it. We can all too easily separate our lives into the places where God is present, church, and where he's not, work. Mission 
becomes about getting people from out there, your place of work, your school, university, wherever, into the church building. But what if the idea isn't to get people into a building for a once a week thing? What if the moment that you're trying to live in is actually meant to equip you to take what happens in here out there? To be the church in your workplace, in your classroom. What if the idea is to become a community that is focused on Jesus and living out his kingdom in their day-to-day lives as God originally intended? What if the mission is about partnering with God to inaugurate his kingdom? There's a quote that I'm not going to get entirely right, but it's from either the current or a previous head of the prison chaplaincy service in the UK, where he talks about how when he first started going into prisons, he expected to take Jesus into the prisons with him and how he was surprised to find that Jesus was already there. So are you looking for God in the everyday or do you only expect him to be present in the church building or when you're singing a song? And we should definitely mark the special moments. Thea suggested um, earlier in this series that um, things like collecting rocks and, and building small monuments to, to special occasions is a good thing. And it's biblical to do so. Otherwise, Thea wouldn't have said it. But it recognizes them as moments. It marks them. It remembers them but it means that you are seeing that God is meaning to carry you further into his purposes using that moment. We're called to live in the everyday. In Genesis, we're commanded to be fruitful and multiply, and that doesn't just have to refer to making babies. It can be about sustainably using the resources of the earth to create systems, structures, clothes, buildings, recipes, homes, furniture, technology. God wants us to create. God wants us to partner with him and to partner with us in that creativity. To make the best use of the earth without ruining it. And the memorials that we make to the moments can give us strength in the hard times, and they can give us extra reason to celebrate in the good times. So they're valuable, but they are not what we live for. Moments will equip you for God's calling, but they are not our purpose. So what moments have we been trying to live in when God is actually calling us onwards? And my final question is, do you know who you are? Adrian mentioned last week, we're arriving at the kind of pivotal point in Mark's gospel. From here, everything leads to the cross. And just like Jesus started his ministry on earth at his baptism, God once again affirms Jesus's identity. We looked at the question last week, who do you say I am? Jesus was not looking for the disciples to affirm his identity. 
He did not need them to tell him who he was. But before he begins his journey to the cross, God once again proclaims Jesus' sonship. God declares who Jesus is before Jesus starts out on the next phase of his mission. We all want to know that we have a good identity, that we are loved. We all want to know that we're valued, that we're needed. And perhaps when we look back at moments where we've been dazzled by the presence of God, we should consider that God might be reminding us of our identity and reaffirming our identity and place within the created world. That in those moments, God might be saying, this is my child. They're on a mission for me, for the kingdom. So forces of evil, you better watch out. Because nothing can separate them from my love. And my purposes will be achieved. God affirms your identity so that you can go and live out the kingdom in your everyday life. He is reminding you of who you are and what you are called to do. A number of books that I've read over the past year and one that I'm in the process of reading currently seek to remind us that our story starts in Genesis 1, not Genesis 3. We start from a place where God created us, blessed us, and declared that everything he had made was very good. The first step in following your calling is to know that you are blessed. God says you are very good. You might not feel like it. We might not act like it. But that is what God says about us. And when we operate from a place of knowing that we don't have to do anything to earn hold on to or enhance our identity, we can function in a way that means we are vested, invested in the kingdom in a different way. When your identity is caught up in your job, your title, how you appear to others, you operate from, ne- from a place of needing to find um, validation from other people, from situations from social media. That's not how we were created to be. God is the only one who can validate us, and he says that we are good. And when we operate from that place of knowing that God has already said that we are good, we're not beholden to other people's opinions. Plus, When you recognize that God has declared that you are good, you begin to see that he declared other people are good as well. Every single person carries the image of God. We were all created in God's image, whether we want to see that in other people or not. God made humanity in his image. And Jesus knew that. Jesus knew and knows who he is, 
and that humanity was created good. He was willing to give up his life to remind us of that fact. He was willing to die and rise again so that we could reclaim that truth about who we are and about creation too. So once we know our identity and what God says about us, we can start to see that in others. And that helps us to live out the basic commands of Jesus. Love God, love others. Jesus says it himself in Mark 12. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second greatest commandment is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. It's really hard to love other people if we don't see them how God sees them. And we can't see others as God sees them unless we first see ourselves as he sees us. If you think about it, those two commandments are both incredibly simple and incredibly hard. God doesn't give details in the Bible. He doesn't tell you what school to go to, what job to have, where you should live. He doesn't give you five tips on how to be mum of the year. That's how I got Mother's Day into the sermon. Uh, He just gives some very simple commands scattered throughout all of Scripture. In Genesis, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. In the verses I just read above, essentially, love God, love others. At the end of Matthew's gospel, go and make disciples of all nations. It doesn't spell out how to do these things. Because we were made in the image of a creative, communal God. He wants us to create, be fruitful and increase in partnership with him and others in order to bring about the realignment and renewal of the created order that he started with the death and resurrection of Jesus. And we can be confident that it is finished, but we get to play a part in getting it there. The first step on living out our calling is to know who we are and who has called us. So the three questions, just to recap, can derail us from God's mission, and we might not even realize it's happening. Firstly, have we put Jesus in his rightful place? Jesus should be first in our lives. Out of the famous Ten Commandments, it's number one. We're to have no other gods than him. Secondly, do we try and live in a moment that God never meant to be our dwelling place? Moments are incredibly powerful, but they are moments. We were created to be fruitful, to fill the earth and subdue it, not to hunker down in a nice building, sing some songs, and listen to someone speak to you for 20 minutes. Gathering, singing, and hearing the word of God are powerful but it's not our whole lives. How are we looking for God in the everyday? And do you know who you are? Jesus did. It's how he was able to do what he did. Do you know that you are loved? 
that God calls you his child, that you were created good? Do you accept that about yourself? Do you accept that about others? God can use moments and mountaintop experiences to affirm who he is and who he says we are. But we also need to learn to live that out in the everyday moments and not confine ourselves to an experience on a mountaintop. Let me pray. Father God, we thank you that you say we are your children. We thank you that we get to share in the inheritance that Jesus won for us on the cross. We pray that we would become a community, a family that seek you out every single day. That we seek your voice in every single circumstance and situation. And that as we do that, we would become more and more aware of you around us. We pray, Lord, that you would give us strength by your spirit for the times when we find that hard. That you would help us in the times where we want to want to pray. But that as we look for you daily, that we would find you that we would truly be able to say Jesus is Lord of my life and that your love for us would flow out of us as love for others, love for your world, and that we would truly work to care for your creation and to bring about your kingdom come. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.